Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our Watch Club for Marvel's Loki. See you soon. Welcome to the beginning and the end and all time in between to Watch Club. My name is Nathaniel Richards, but you can call me Nate. And in this week's final episode of Loki titled For All Time Always, we see Loki and Sylvie finally discover who created the TVA as they're presented with a choice that has consequences reaching far beyond the entirety of their existence. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but it's way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and the MCU in general, so if you haven't watched this week's finale, uh, be sure to do so and then come right back in a snap. Now, before we all start a multiversal war, let me introduce you to the men behind the curtain joining me for this Nexus event to end all Nexus events. First up... He's the quantum maniac who's gestating gigajoules of journalistic joyfulness while justifiably jeopardizing just about everything. He's just in time. This is wild, man. This is totally wild. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've been you've you've been on a t- multiple timelines for many times in your life. Oh Dustin. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am the one that remains, my friend. Very good. Uh, and coming through to cause a crack In one of the many branched realities, he's kinetically castrating a cacophony of chromecular chasms causing chaotic conflict while considerably conquering countless coexisting cantankerous chronologies. He's the King Kang Hudson. Wow. I'm going to feel really bad because you put a lot into that, and the only thing that stuck out for me was crack. Did I bend over in front of the camera again? (laughs) that's, That's where I got the inspiration there, Kevin, for sure. And last, but certainly also first at the same time, he's the meticulous master of the modern measurement of movement in time. He's more than a molecule mutating and modulating metaphorically through the millennia's millennium, mistakenly making mostly minuscule modifications to the microcosmic Mobius strip. He's Monroe Mephisto Chambers. (laughs) Oh, hi there, geese. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I expected Mephisto to sound right, like. That's what I was going to say. I didn't want to just go, wow. Like, wow. Like, wow. <laughs> How are you doing there, my good friend Monroe? I'm better now. I'm always happy to come on, and I'm glad I'm here for the finale of this wild Wild, wild man, wild, it's crazy! I, we're so stoked to have you on to discuss at length this uh, this somewhat final episode of Loki uh, for you know season one at least. Uh, but first, if any of our listeners haven't had the chance to hear your beautiful, wonderful dulcet tones, uh, can you maybe share with them um, what you're all about and uh, who the heck you are? Sure. Uh, my name is Munro Chambers. I am a Canadian. I am an actor. I am also uh, a big geek. Like yeah. the gentleman here and the millions. Yeah. And millions listening at home. <laughs> I think I think to qualify I think to qualify you as a, a geek, you have to have at least at one point in your time written some form of fan fiction 
Monroe, can you can you confirm that you might have at one point in time written fan fiction about something? <laughs> at one point in time. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, yeah, no, I've 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 created characters mainly within the mcu i've never done really anything for dc but uh like mcu and star wars and yeah. uh, even some like you know outside of middle earth uh stories and things like that but yeah it's it's i love uh i love creating things like that it's, it's always a it's always a blast so i mean i'm i'm uh you know fan fiction or not i'm always a huge fan of any of the fiction that you're in, uh, Monroe, and I'm always stoked to have you on the podcast. Bravo, thank you, Nate. thank Bravo. you. Uh, <laughs> to get your perspective, but like as a fan and as someone who actually works within the industry that we all love and talk about daily, it's uh, it's really dope to get your perspective. So we're stoked to have you on. I appreciate. It. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, man. Okay, so. As always in Watch Club, we like to go through the plot section by section and break things down. Uh, but before we get into this plot and, you know, divulge our thoughts on every moment in this final episode, let's start with a brief overview of your high-level thoughts on this week's episode. And Monroe, because you're joining us for the first time on this Watch Club, can you also give us your thoughts on the series so far? Not necessarily overall, because we'll do that at the end, but so far. So far, I think the first two episodes blew me out of the water i i was i i completely agreed with uh you all uh that the first two episodes were just exceeded every expectation i had i thought they yeah. were outstanding i think from there they plateaued and then it started to ramp up a little bit um and i think a lot of it was trying to cram so much in i think we could have done this in eight episodes could have done this in 10 episodes and still had more um sure. But I think just as far as six goes, um, the middle plateaued a little bit for me, but not not enough that was detrimental. Yeah. Um, but it was. Uh, I I still think it was very interesting, and I think I think it's this whole series is a lead up, and I think we're uh, seeing why. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. So this episode, I it had some of my favorite moments of the series. I'll say that. I think it was, uh, there were some shots that were stunning, uh, moments that were wonderful, um, so many flipping questions, um, but I, 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 where I was saying before that I thought it plateaued a little bit, why <laughs> we're ramping back up the roller coaster isn't over. For sure. Absolutely. Kevin, how about yourself? Um, it's funny, Monroe described sort of the, the, uh, you know, overflow of the whole series in that it really started off with a bang, flattened out a little in the middle, and then, um, you know, ended with a bang. And I think that sort of happened in this episode as well. Yeah. I thought, I mean, the opening w w that we're going to get into was absolutely incredible. One of the best things I've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all. And um, I mean, even the end credits have like this amazing feeling to them and you're seeing nothing but words on the screen. Like there was just so much powerful emotion packed into this episode but i do think there was a bit of a lull with some of the stuff going on at the tva that sort of halted the you know intensity of the episode but overall what a finish and beginning for this show and for things going forward yeah for sure yeah justin yeah I, I, well i i i think this episode was absolutely brilliant uh it, it was exactly what viewers and fans of the mcu needed from this finale uh it stayed focused while also being reserved and giving us answers and raising new questions for the future. Uh, I'm sure many of us were hoping for this episode to be some sort of a showdown between our villains, if you would you call them all that. Uh, however, Kate Heron, Mark Waldron, the entire writing 
team that worked on this episode kept this as a battle of wits pitting loki and sylvie against one another while uh he who remains kind of being the puppet master of it all um and really drawing out a conflict so uh you know turning our our heroes against each other in the end i think that that was that was actually a really really great uh sort of through point for this so yeah man yeah it it was uh i think we're all kind of saying that we loved it. <laughs> it was like, it was a fantastic, it was also very, um, it was vindicating, I think for a lot of fans, right? Like I was just so happy that Marvel and, and the writers and Kay Heron and, and Michael Waldron gave us fans, they sort of gave in halfway, right? They're giving us the answer we all really wanted, um, but they're doing it in a way that subverts our expectations. Yeah, absolutely. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and I enjoyed that like, you know, I kind of throughout the episode, the lack of finality step started to like creep up on me until we obviously got that that you know, understanding of season two coming. Um, but I was incredibly intrigued the entire way through. I hung on every single word. And I understand that for some people, that lack of finality or even the pacing that you kind of described, Monroe, um, you know, it, to my mind, it was it was very much like episode one. Uh, I understand that that's not for everyone. But I really enjoyed it and and everything that it did in just 40 yeah. minutes. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, but guys, let's get into the plot. We've got, we have a lot to go through. So we are going to uh, jump into it here, starting with, uh, we open to see the Marvel fanfare, accompanied by different sound bites of different moments throughout both our history and the MCU played in quick succession until they all overlap each other, causing them to become more incomprehensible as we zoom out and discover the camera was moving through the sacred timeline as it circles the Citadel at the end of time. So, uh, just right there, before we keep going, I have to ask, what did you think of this opener, and what did you hear throughout the... Did you guys catch anything that you wanted to talk about throughout the sacred timeline? Justin? I, I don't know like if there was anything specific other than I just, like to your point, Nate, they blended the MCU history really well with our own history um, just to kind of capture like several different moments. Like you hear Nelson Mandela, you hear yeah. uh, Maya Angelou, you know, you hear, you know, Thor, you hear Hulk scream, you hear Ultron, you hear all these things. And, it, and I think it just does a really good job of, of reminding you that you're being ripped from that timeline and moved into the end of time so it, it, it right from the get-go it's it's sucking you out especially with that reminiscent track of steve rogers past and we yeah. hear that sort of played through and you know that association that that has for him and him wanting to travel back in time there's there's just a lot of layers to it all, all in, for sure all in it, right? oh there's so many yeah. i mean you hear you hear lines from uh I think a lot of more, more lines from Ant-Man and Hank Pym. Yeah. Um, and, you know, did you guys notice that the lines sort of, it feels like they go in a certain order based on, like, Earth to space? Like, sort of. a lot of the movies, if you listen to them and you kind of plot it out, and trust me, I re-listened to that many times, we hear references that deal a little bit more with space and time as it starts to move further and further out of the, the timeline. Sure. Uh, for me personally, the, the line that stood out was, uh, you know, Steve Rogers saying, I can do this all day. Yeah. Just because, you know, we sort of get a character who's been doing this all day, if you will, <laughs> if not for all I love time, that. you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, both him, both him and like both the he who remains and and, and uh, Loki. Absolutely. I think Monroe, what did you think of the opener? I agree. I think it's one of the best things I've seen from Marvel yet, uh, just yeah. because it, it, it it's going to propel us into what the next phase is. Uh, and yeah. I think it's also in it's. It's wrapping up in a little present mm-hmm. everything that's been done and the way this whole episode kind of p- 
plays out, it's kind of like this is the little record that's been playing in the office the whole time. And 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 we'll talk about that later about my thoughts on that. But uh, the one phrase that really stuck out is right near the end and i i don't want to misquote it but i'll just say it is when he uh which is um vision saying uh, what is grief but love persevering mm-hmm. yeah and i thought that was so wonderful because to me still wandavision is still one of my favorite series i've seen in a long time yeah. so i love that little plop there but i thought i got really big vibes of wandavision in that opening sequence. I don't know why, but mm. I just thought it was such a really cool meta opener. Mm. For sure. And even just not breaking it down to specific voices, just getting this cluster, this overwhelming sort of sensory overload uh, overload in this opening scene combined with like just beautiful, incredible visuals. I mean, I haven't felt like that since I was a nine-year-old sitting in the theater about to watch a movie I'd never heard of. And all of a sudden, Stargate starts And you shoot into the Stargate. And at the time, it was, I'd never seen anything like that on a screen. And and so just, I felt like a recreation of that as we are sort of flying through I thought of 2001. 2001 Space Space Odyssey. Yeah, I I can definitely see the the, the influences there. Yeah, dude. Honestly, Monroe, you called it, man. It's an homage to the MCU so far. And then it's also like a kickoff to what Phase 4 is wrapped up in, as you put it, a a little present. So, dude, it was freaking dope. Um, okay, let's keep going here. When we, when Loki and Sylvie finally enter the castle that lies beyond Eliath, they're greeted abruptly by Miss Minutes, whose sweet southern accent has never sounded quite this foreboding. Uh, she welcomes them to the Citadel at the end of time, adding that he who remains, the man who created, uh, created all and controls all, uh, is impressed by their journey. Through Miss Minutes, he who remains makes uh, the duo a deal. The TVA will keep operating as usual, and Loki and Sylvie can get reinserted into the timeline in a way that won't disrupt the proper flow of events. Loki uh, can get... Sorry. Loki can get the power he's craved. Sylvie can wake up tomorrow with a lifetime of happy memories, uh, and they can both coexist together in the same timeline. But Sylvie counters that he who remains uh, offers... Sorry. But Sylvie counters that he who remains offer is fiction. And Loki adds, we write our own destiny now. Miss Minutes is skeptical of that claim, but she disappears anyway. As they journey further into the Citadel, Loki and Sylvie eventually encounter he who remains. So guys, two things. What did you think? Did you guys get scared from the jump scare of Miss Minutes appearing? And then what did you think of this reveal as Jonathan Majors as the one who, as he who remains, and his introduction into the MCU. Kevin. I mean, I'll just jump on the jump scare thing, just because I'm a sucker for them. So I'm glad this wasn't in theaters, because my audible, whoa, would have been <laughs> really embarrassing. For sure. Yeah, that, I I definitely was was shocked by it. Um, and I loved I loved how they, they sort of uh, turned that character so quickly into more of a villain um i really really enjoyed that for sure yeah she's in on it obviously so she's in on it more so than renslayer what was also interesting is that um you know she's she's kind of playing this sort of like i saw people online comparing it to the matrix 
the matrix uh, reloaded where he sees the yeah. architect and the, there's an offering that's happening and it, well you certainly get that from both of the characters for sure, right? for as sure. Well as, yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah. and I, just just this idea though of of you know a deal trying to be struck up because you know they're the ones that are very much in control of what's going to happen next right so uh but I, I thought it was interesting to transition miss minutes into that i think there's a lot of suspicion around that a lot of theories around like is she in on it is she the bad guy the inevitable bad guy um so it was pretty cool that they involved her in that capacity it's funny because you know based on interviews with tara strong we knew that miss minutes would have just a little bit more yeah. dialogue and then recently in an interview with jimmy fallon tom hiddleston was actually asked uh who is behind the TVA? Like, can you, you know, Fallon's laughing. Can you share anything with us? Like, obviously it was a whole bit. Uh, and the only clue that, that Hiddleston would give, he said, only time will tell. And I was like, well, that's exactly what happened. We literally got Miss Minutes, who is time herself, um, you know, jumping in. And, and I did hope that we would get a little bit more of her in this episode. Obviously, we'll, we'll hopefully get more of her in the next season. But I thought it was a really great primer. And it, to your point about The Matrix, it reminded me a lot of actually Cypher. Yeah. In the Matrix, like how he's he's offered the, you know, the promise of getting the life that he he wants and to forget about everything. Um, so I, I really dug it. But uh, Monroe, what did you think of uh, of this moment or what did you think of Jonathan Majors coming in uh, as he who remains? So I've, I I initially they kept saying he so many times like he 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 I didn't think it was going to be he to be perfectly honest, like not. Yeah. Doesn't matter what the gender is of the of the big bad who's coming in, but I really didn't think it was. I thought Miss Minutes had a lot to do with it because she seems sketchy from day one. Like she she seems like she was pulling all the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought that maybe Renslayer mm-hmm. had something more to do with it. So I was kind of it, what I liked was they had this really really big lead up and then they're going down the tunnel. They had a really nice spin cam. Uh, coming through i thought that was really creative and kind of putting the world on top of its head which is mm-hmm. very symbolic or like a clock um, looks or very like similar a clock, clock as, like sure time's moving right like uh, they, do that moving. Shot, they do that shot quite a bit and i always think it kind of signifies just time and, and and movement right so and that part felt very wizard of oz that's exactly the point i was going to make it felt wizard of oz and like the wizard of oz i really felt there was this kind of moment of deflation in a, in, a, in a casual way, mm-hmm. not the one that wasn't effective, but it was very, you know, to his point up the elevator where he goes, not what you expected. Hmm? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that was completely intentional because they didn't do something that they usually do with big bads in a reveal, which is they show it opening the doors and then they punch right in and a head tilts up or yeah, yeah. he's just kind of right. staring longingly. They kept it very far yeah. and very casual. Yeah. And I, I think that's completely intentional. Yeah. And I thought Jonathan uh, Majors, I think what he did was so interesting because we know there are variants. Right. I'm very, very intrigued. Uh, I also think it's interesting that he, he chose an apple because uh, yeah. that's a classic theater thing. Hmm. Um, yeah. A person of power. They they've said something in, on it's a it's a it was they actually made a video about it recently where if you eat an apple, it's the most powerful yeah. fruit you can eat. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. it's interesting and all everything. But I, no, it was uh, it was a cool, very cool reveal. 
you look at the parallels, right, with Loki and Sylvie yeah. as almost like Adam the Adam and Eve, Eve yeah. right, in this situation. But, like, also an apple. We've seen an apple used in relation to time before in the MCU, right? Well, with, with Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange yeah, yeah. Testing his ability to manipulate it through time. So I, I kept, oh, sure, checking, I kept sure. checking the apple to see if at any point in time it was, like, less eaten. Like, I'm, if he is, like, I, manipulating I saw that it. reference online as well about the apple and Doctor Strange. I'm surprised that people yeah. leaned on that so hard because it's just, know, it's it used cool. as a tool just to show the passage of time. And I, I get mm-hmm. it. It could have done this same sort of thing but you're surprised when mcu fans pick out small details and relate just, them no, to but like, each but other like, but the thing is is that i i definitely got the vibe of adam and eve and and sort of the the imagery of the of the serpent with the apple you know luring them in come into my room yeah very much the devil yeah exactly the, the devil whispering in your in. ears Mephisto. yeah exactly uh, uh back to the <laughs> wizard of oz vibes you know the yeah. the, the walking through the citadel a hundred percent felt like the the emerald castle with especially with the rotation and, and whatnot that little effect but also just the elevator doors opening was kind of like a play on the man behind the curtain and to to Monroe's point like how far it was shot away and and sort of like you had to look like you almost had to like like as as if you were them like who is that right and then you're like oh yeah. right and then is it's, that it's yeah and yeah. then when you realize it's him it, it almost Again, to your point that what you mentioned before, Nate, it subverts the expectation of who, how threatening he is, and and what he, who he is, right? So it instantly places him as this, you know, simple man, right, right off the bat. Yeah, Kevin, what did you think of uh, of this performance that we got? Well, uh, like I, I really enjoyed the lead up to this moment, and then for the next little while, I'm going to be in the minority here. I didn't love this take on the character. Yeah. And I and I I'm, I'm I'm not saying necessarily that Jonathan Majors did a bad job doing it. I just don't know if this was the right approach to take to introduce this character in that it was kind of like the Willy Wonka if but you know if Willy Wonka what, took yeah. over the the universe and yeah. and I think that would be a fun iteration down the road if we're going to meet a lot of variants of this character. I think something a bit more serious to convey the seriousness of what he's describing to these characters and what is a, a uni- universe altering moment it just felt a bit campy and over the top at in, at this moment so to that point i think the fact that you feel that way in some level means they've done their job yeah and that's what i was alluding to before they've ach- they've achieved something there and we'll talk about that later well listen 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 the character definitely plays a major role in this episode majors uh so we'll see him quite a bit and we'll have a lot of time to talk about him um one last thing just before we move on sorry the timekeeper statues there was a fourth one broken oh, on the ground I had a note on that yeah what's going on there monroe well, so that's I. There's a I had to know. I just like in the comics. There, like I was reading about it because that, I also was very intrigued. So, you know, yeah. thanks thanks to this thing called uh, Google and the internet, I, I looked it up, and there's four statues that obviously decorate the citadel, um, and this represents uh, one of the timekeepers, who in the comics was known as the Oracle of Siwa, and uh, in the comics he actually helps the Fantastic Four defeat Kang. But what if Kang or He Who Remains is that timekeeper? Was it him as a timekeeper? That's what was I mean. He one of is them, he, right? Was he yeah. one of them? And they destroyed his statue. So like I don't know, we'll something see. like that. Yeah. Oh man, so much to chew on. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So as they travel up the elevator towards the office of He Who Remains, uh, we see that he's able to dodge Sylvie's initial attempts to stab him easily, disappearing and reappearing in a new place every time she lunges at him. In fact. 
As he who remains informs his guests, he's responsible for paving the entire road that there, that was their treacherous journey to reach him. He just says, uh, you just walked down it, uh, which he taunts them. Uh, he even presents them with a hard copy of the very conversation they're having in an effort to prove that this is all preordained and they only survived this far because he wanted them to. Without the TVA and the order that he's brought to the sacred timeline, he says everything burns. Um, he goes on to reveal his origin story. He says there was a scientist variant of himself who lived in the 31st century, discovered the other universes stacked on top of his own. Uh, and as these universes collided, the variants met each other. Uh, their initial peace and harmony gave way to an all-out war for power and control. Uh, the battle only ceased when he who remains weaponized Eliath and used it to end He's very mad about it. End the multiversal war. Uh, he says the TVA and sacred timeline exist to prevent such chaos from happening again. And were he to be killed, infinite variants of himself would appear and another multiversal war would surely start, albeit with the variants of himself who are far worse than him. So with these events explained as clearly as possible by He Who Remains. Uh, what did you think of his origin story? And I got a bonus question. Why do you think he targeted Loki's? This entire, this was the highlight for me. Uh, just like, we'll, we'll start right there. This was the highlight of the episode with, with was Jonathan Majors and uh, him in these scenes. He's, he's so on top of his game, the way he acts uh, through through these, these scenes. He, he has eccentric body language. Uh, you know, it, it kind of livens a little bit more in, his, in the monologue that he's, that he's speaking. Um, and I, I don't know, like, it seems like he's portraying someone who, who kind of sees the end coming. Right. Like he's he knows what's going to happen. He knows that how things are going to play out. But I think it's almost similar to other villains. Like Kev, you said, Willy Wonka. And from the perspective of like his demeanor, I, I think that that's very true. But I also got like a little bit of like, you know, Joker, like in control. Yeah. He's only feeding them as much as he can so that he can get the outcome that he wants. Um, right. You know, I also thought the way that they wrote the dialogue, too, uh, it felt like at certain points they were actually calling out the audience you know don't tell me you're disappointed you know when he says that to them in the elevator or this oh, one was good yeah. i like the one when when sylvie asks why are we here and he replies come on you know you can't get to the end until you've changed you've been changed by the journey this stuff right. needs to happen to get us all in the right right mindset to finish the quest and i feel like that is literally for the audience as well right like That's this is michael waldron yeah. writing like speaking that into yeah exactly like sure. it, yeah. It, it's the writing telling the audience like this isn't going to be this you know epic showdown this is going to be a battle of wits this is going to be a conversation and this is going to be the the sort of explanation i i get the expositional part of like learning his background was a little you know it was very visual but i think it helped me at least to really understand who what version of of let's just call him who he is kang he's being right and and where he is right now well i think the series started with a wonderful conversation between loki and mobius and here we're seeing it almost end between you know with like another sort of really long conversation uh but i love how how you know they managed to explain his past and his possible future all in one story like in, in in not too long of a time and it was you know oftentimes we would get you know just a hint or a little bit of it and then we'd have to wait to see his origin story play out so i liked how they sort of condensed it all and and they the way he just talks about it so casually i just thought he was so engaging i was hanging on every word 
Yeah, I think I think they've done an amazing job of sort of explaining everything. And this is such a dense, complicated idea that I think they did a really terrific job of not just explaining what's sort of happened with our characters and everything, but also setting this character up and explaining not just who he is and where he's come from, but what we're almost what we should almost expect from him in the future, right? right. Like they've made it quite clear at this point. We know what's going to happen. He's going to get killed and we're going to get this branching off and this start of something exactly. incredible. Yeah. And he, and so this was, I think the explanation for me was better than the execution. I, again, I just found it really campy. It was, it was overacted in my opinion. Really? And again, I'm fine being in the majority, uh, the minority for that. I, that's perfectly fine. It just, it didn't ring true, but other than the fact that it reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy two, in sort you know it was very much um, the same way Kurt Russell uh, ego explained his origin story to uh, Star Lord. Right. So other than that, I thought they did a really great job at least of explaining everything and getting me really excited for this character, which sort of lessens the blow for me for not liking this performance. I'm like, who knows how many I, different ones I'm going to get. Well, in that's the just it, yeah. Right, Monroe. I think you had something kind of to go off on that. Is now the time? Yeah, that's that's I think he's obviously very wound up. Obviously he can't leave where he's at. The one thing I thought was confusing uh just if we're just talking performance based and I think I think it's intentional, but I'm I'm trying to decipher because he's misleading the whole time, right? So Renslayer to me the whole time she's been misleading because she shows her cards every time before she gets caught. Right. Like every time she is about to get caught in the act of a lie. She's showing her cards every time. With him, he's doing the exact same thing. He's kind of lying, but showing you that he's lying, but then he's not lying. So I think this, it's it's a credit to the writing as well and credit to, because I'm going to be completely frank. Uh, the Conqueror, I know very to nothing about this character. I don't know yeah. why I don't, but I don't. So <laughs> this has been wonderful for me because I'm like, this is such an interesting take on this character because you expect it to be this way, but you know that he's sh- he's telling you what's going to happen because he's being honest about it. The only thing that was confusing me was his accent mm, because he would, well, because he would bleed in and out. So when I first heard it, I had to watch it a second time and be, oh, is he the European variant? Right, <laughs> because that that why why is the TVA so obsessed with the 1950s? Right, yeah. So so yeah. that's that was my one thing where, but again, he's so cooped up. He is has obviously all these battles with all these variants. We don't know which one he is. Obviously, he's very lighthearted. He's very joyful. He's very he's animated. Jaded. Very jaded, but he's jaded is a tail end. That that's a that's emotional history that's behind, for him. Yeah, that's exactly. not who he is. Yeah, yeah. The jaded, uh, malicious, like time when he goes after Sylvie and says, "Say murderer, like liar." Like that's so a good. that's a jaded emotional history. That to me was stunning because he did the switch. So that's going to be a version of who another person is because we're all variants of each other because we all have different sides to each other. But I thought it was wonderful there. But that was the only aspect of the the accent to me, because it's intentional. Because he pulls and he pushes and pulls. 
So maybe, I mean, I like that Monroe because maybe that's a hint as to what the character might sound like as Kang, right? Kang, I think in, in some of the animated stuff that I've seen, he does very much have an accent. Um, maybe he spent some time in Europe in, you know, with all the times that he's spent, you know, around the multiverse or, you know, and I think, I think it's so fitting to have someone who has an accent that goes away, that comes back because we're kind of used to that by now with the, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Yeah. A couple things to just jump off there. I think the accent might be more of a hint of like what period of time he's trying to emulate. Cause I feel like even his persona and his personality feels very like theater actor, do you know what I mean? Like he he does feel like he's True. an actor, but he has like this this sort of representation. Like he's representing himself the best that he can in, in this. But I think that's what's going to be really interesting is that any other variation of Jonathan Majors that we're going to see is going to be significantly different from this this version that we've just seen. And I think that's what's really cool. He's kind of building, I think, his own sort of version right now. And to your question about how or why he's choosing Loki's, um, I think it has something to do with free will. In Avengers, uh, at the beginning, Loki says, a world made free from freedom, freedom is, is life's greatest lie. Um, and I think maybe that has something to do as to why I love that. he's choosing Lokis, because they have an understanding that freedom is a lie, free will is a lie, and it needs to be controlled. And, you know, maybe that kind of feeds into that idea. Interesting. I, I think the whole thing is a rue. I think he's pinned them against each other. I liked it because he went so far into almost caricature. He went very there was there was a flamboyancy to him, like I said, very theatrical, like yeah, we talked yeah. about. Centric. Yeah. And that's why when I saw the apples, like I was like, Oh, that's theater. Like yeah. he's a th he's mm -hmm. doing it very theatrically and, yeah. and a very yeah. theater based performance. And but that's that's what I mean. I think this was all intentional based on the other variants we're we'll gonna see. see. And he, yeah. he he's setting it up. And yes. I thought it was, I personally, I thought it was wonderfully done yeah. um, because he broke. He created rhythms and then he broke them wonderfully, in my opinion. Because what's, what's a, you know, a theater show, if not a way to, you know, fool your audience into experiencing <laughs> right. something that that's not really happening. All right. So let's, we're going to, we'll get to all that. Uh Loki and Sylvie are presented now with a choice. Kill he who remains and risk bedlam on the timeline, or return to the TVA and become its benevolent rulers. But then there's some curious rumbling in the distance, and he who remains suddenly looks worried. We just crossed the threshold, he says. Outside, swirling ribbons of color in the sky begin to branch off from one another. And he who remains divulges that actually, he fibbed, he... He doesn't know everything that's going to happen. He only knew everything up to about uh, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds ago. But now, Loki and Sylvie's decision is anyone's guess. Sylvie once again lunges to stab he who remains, but Loki tries to talk her down, saying they should simply take a moment and think about their choice. Loki's disinterest in immediately killing he who remains is puzzling to Sylvie, and she suggests that he's merely con been conning her all this time so he can finally take his throne. Loki is devastated by her theory, and they fight with their swords for a while, even as Loki is begging Sylvie to stop and think clearly. Eventually, Sylvie throws a blast of green light at Loki, and he vanishes. But just as Sylvie is about to bring her blade down on he who remains, Loki appears right in the sword's trajectory, and she finally pauses. I've been where you are, Loki tells Sylvie through tears. Don't ask me how I know. 
All I know is I don't want to hurt you. I don't want a throne. I just want you to be okay. An emotional Sylvie drops her sword and they kiss. But when Sylvie pulls away, she remarks, but I'm not you. And having secretly grabbed he who remains his temp pad bracelet from his desk, Sylvie opens a time door and pushes Loki back through into the TVA. With Loki gone, Sylvie doesn't hesitate to follow through with her plan, and she drives the sword right into He Who Remains. See you soon, he tells her with a wink. And after he dies, Sylvie sits on the floor looking conflicted about what she just did. And for good reason, since the colorful timeline outside is branching like crazy. You could even call it a multiverse of madness. Okay, so here we see that Sylvie distrusts Loki yet again. And he kills, and then she kills He Who Remains. Now, earlier in the episode, He Who Remains whispers to Sylvie and asks her if, he, if she really trusts Loki, saying, like, you know, can you even trust anyone? Uh, I have to ask here, in these final moments, even though he said she has free will to do, you know, anything, you know, that you can think of, you know, do you think she would have done the things that she did if he hadn't have planted that thought into her mind earlier? And was this still all orchestrated the way he intended it to be? Yeah, I think so. I think this is like, as much as we would want to think that our, our heroes are, are going to come out of this, you know, as the winners, they're not. They're right. being played through this whole yeah. conversation, uh, you know, and they're being conned by, by someone who doesn't want the job anymore, doesn't want to be right. there. He's, as he said, he's, he's old. He's, he yeah. has a lot of years on his life and he doesn't look it. But he's tired. He's plotting his own exit strategy. Yeah, for sure. I, I echo what you said, Justin. The, from the whole time, I, just, I feel like it was, again, well done because he made it believable that like he's made this is the right choice. And I think we've seen that between the two Lokis yeah. um, and their greed and their uh, acceptance of who they are. And there's been themes of uh, renewal and rebirth of of personalities. And, and they're also battling narcissistic tendencies. And like mm-hmm. like there's a lot of themes there. Um, but no, I think he, he's showing his cards every time. And I think it was all plotted. I mean, I wonder if that is why he chose the Lokis because he he knew that of anybody he could choose to put in this position, they would always make the decision that he wanted, which was to, you know, basically end his time and let things just sort of restart and, 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 you know, whatever happens, happens. I, I wonder if that's why he chose the Lokis. Yeah, I feel like, I I don't know, man. Like, okay, let's just hear me out for a moment. Again, the Matrix, right? Neo's interaction with the Oracle, right? When she tells him not to mind the vase and then he breaks it and she asks him like, would you still have broken it if I didn't say anything, right? And I understand like, and, and I fully believe that he di- he maybe doesn't actually know the outcome past the threshold, but I still feel like he knows he would end up there so that's why he suggested that she's incapable of trusting anyone. He starts that spark. Because remember, that happens after they get through the threshold. So I don't know, man. Like with the emphasis on loops and time loops and the timeline being visible as a circle, I think it's there to remind us that potentially this has all happened before, right? And, and then in the Timekeeper's Chambers in, um, I can't remember what, ep- I guess it was a few episodes ago when they're in the Time Chambers Keepers and they, they kill the robots you know, after the robot shut down, if you if you really pay close attention, it was pointed out that you do hear, see, see you, you soon. soon. Yeah. So with him saying the exact same thing here and then winking at her, like, that's got to mean that he had a hunch that it was all going to play out like this and that this is just keeps, 
it just keeps happening over and over again. Well, yeah, I think that that's that's an interesting theory around that. The just to talk about the fight sequence between them, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. I read a really interesting theory online about how the love is a dagger notion comes to mind in this fight sequence as the two fight it out with their daggers and, and oh, their love. Sure. So I got to say, it, it, you know, uh, kudos to 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 that theory, because if if that's all that episode three was good for was really setting up that notion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. So, yeah. Sure. And, and the staging of the camera. Uh, during the sequence while while they were doing the fighting and as he who remains comes to the realization that they've crossed the threshold um it's very nice how the camera just kind of dollies in as he has that realization and then pulls back as he's sort of free from it and you know going back to the idea of of him playing more of an actor role just him watching the fight sequence like as he sits there right as as like an audience member like he's he's so enthralled like he's at a movie or something like that right and then when they're kissing you you can just see him in the background and just like oh they did it they just like yes yeah Yeah, like he's got his hands together and i just think that that you know he's an audience member to not knowing Right. Like he just he doesn't know how this is going to play out. He's literally waiting in anticipation to see what is going to happen. To that point, I I thought uh, I 100 percent agree. Like he was like a kid at a kid at a a circus, Mm -hmm. just like watching the spectacle. But I I just wanted to say three things about that sequence Mm. um, that for me were some of the best I saw in the series. I thought that was the best fight sequence I saw in the series personally. Mm. Um, I also thought. Uh, one of the best performances we saw, which was, again, side profile of Hiddleston. Yeah. Um, and he's given some really great ones this series. He always is. They're like, And the acting in this series has been wonderful. But to be that far away, side profile, and you're not staring into his eyes, but you can feel every emotion tug yeah. in his heart yeah. um and and every um emotion drop out of his eyes like it was just you know my the lump was my throat for that one too and i also just think for the writing like i love the line on so many levels and so there's so many so many layers to it when uh he goes you can't trust anyone yeah and i can't be trusted yeah. and i think that speaks to also the variants we're about to see where there's a core root and True. that was that's loki's root yeah. which is trust and survive like he kept saying survival i think it's trust and what surrounds that right and i think that was such a beautiful line between them in a in a distant yet intimate moment and uh i just i i thought that was one of my favorite moments of the whole series hmm. i i like her response as she pushes him through that you know i'm not i'm not you and I honestly still think that that's something that can come up as a revelation that she's part of him, but not him. I feel like that's something that, like they can kind of explore further down the line. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of getting further down the line, um, I think we should continue here um, because I wanted to actually catch up with what's going on in the TVA. Because, you know, meanwhile, there's been a lot that's going down on the TVA during Loki and Sylvie's quest. You know, Mobius returns to the headquarters to confront Renslayer, and she's determined to believe that the TVA's work had some kind of purpose all along. To that end, instead of pruning Mobius once again... Uh, when she gets the opportunity, Renslayer opens a new time door, instead telling Mobius that she's going in search of free will before stepping through it. We also see, at one point, Hunter B-15 journey back to Fremont, Ohio, circa 2018, 
uh, and she's at Franklin D. Roosevelt Middle School, uh, a school name which we once saw on a pen that Renslayer owns. And when a fellow TVA hunter finds B-15 and tries to take her into custody, they're interrupted by a woman who looks like Renslayer but clearly isn't. We see a diploma on the wall that bears the name Rebecca Termine, uh, and she says, Who are you? And what the hell are you doing in my school? Um, and B-15 tells her colleague, We have a lot to talk about. Okay, guys, so I need to know, you know, where did Renslayer go, and what do you think she learned from those files that Miss Minutes gave her? Also, um, Kevin, I just want to, before you even maybe answer this question, I know you mentioned how Renslayer really didn't work for you in the past few episodes, or even for throughout the series. Did, did seeing all this alter your opinion for you at all on the character? Nope. It was another annoying scene with her. Just, <laughs> I don't like the choices the character makes. It, if she doesn't know anything, she's a bad liar. And if she does know everything, she's a bad liar. I don't know. It's just, just caught in the middle. And this yeah. part, this was the part of the episode that really dragged for me anytime we went back here. It kind of felt pointless and redundant. I mean, especially with what's to come. You know, other than finding out that Ravona was simply a variant or had been plucked from a timeline like the other characters. I mean, we're not learning anything new there, really. Right. And then the confrontation with Mobius, I just thought he comes off looking pathetic there. He comes <laughs> off looking. And what's the point of that? Yeah. You know, I think it could have been done so much. Like, I'm going to stop you. Poof. OK, I guess I'm not. Wow. I'm a wiener lying <laughs> yeah. on the ground here. It was, I don't know, it yeah, just, that was... It was so flat and boring for me. And it killed that tremendous momentum that they had going on with the, the, the what was actually important here you know they could have they almost should have ended most of this stuff last episode so that we could have stayed focused on the main yeah they they played their cards too close to their chest with Renslayer right I think I think she I think she ha definitely has opportunity to become a great character but you know I, I was hoping we would learn just a little bit more or that she would develop a little bit more and so hopefully we'll get that you know in the future but when she's no I longer at the TVA but like they just did so little to justify the decision she made yeah I, that's what I'm kind of hoping is that I don't know you know what exactly were in those files but I think it was sent from the next version of Kang that we're going to get and that's where she's going and I wonder mm. if we're not going to get the Ravona that's a bit more uh, like her comic book character. And then her relationship with Kang is a little bit more like it is in the comics where they're more so working together than, you know, he's sort of pulling her strings and she has no clue what's going on. So, and I could see her with the same kind of vindictiveness she shows in that last scene. If, if she just goes fully into, you know, being bad and letting you know she is bad sort of at his side, I think she could work a lot better as a character. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think I think that's going to be a huge part of season two. Where is Renslayer and where do we find her? And uh, but that is the big mystery. But I think that's a really great call out, Kev. Like she's going to go meet up with the other version of Kang. They're going to blossom together, ruling time. Interesting. I'm glad to hear you all say that because she, Ravona to me, Renslayer is is the most confused character in the whole series. I I I I thought I knew where she was going in the first two episodes and then they made a hard left turn but again like i was saying she kept showing her cards every time she lied like i thought at first when we first met he remains i was like oh interesting because he's lying but showing his cards kind of the whole time so it's like oh they're both kind of doing the same bit so i was like oh he's she's gonna like they're they're connected like maybe i thought maybe renslayer was a variant oh wow 
So that's what I thought at first. I was like, oh, that'd be really sweet. And then she goes, who's he? Right. And then I papers in the air. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean, who's he? Yeah. So, but I'll say this though, during the whole TVA thing, there, there's a, I wasn't upset about it. I, I, I agree. I think they could have wrapped into a bow, like at the, at the end of episode five and they went through the portal, they just stayed there. Cause I think that would have been so symbolic, but I'm so glad we got to see more of B-15 and, uh, wound me, uh, Mosaka, Mosaku. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. She, to me was such a standout in this series. I, every time she came through personally, I really, really enjoyed her stuff. And I was like, I hope we see more of her. I, I, um, I would have rather seen more of her than Renslayer, truthfully. Like, especially yeah. with the way they, too. they played Renslayer's character. Like, yeah. And yeah. again, it has, not, it has nothing to do with uh, the actress performance um, because she had some real, it was just, it seemed like her character's development, whether it's writing or whatever it was, they couldn't pick a lane. And I don't know yeah. if in that season two, that's going to be uh, wrapped Explored up. More, I, I, yeah. I just don't know where it's going now. Cause she goes mm. through the part, but now she wants to find free will, but she killed Mobius because he wanted too much of free will. Right. So <laughs> it was all very contradictory. So I just didn't. I, and then she was a variant of a very like, and a variant of an, I don't know. It was just kind of confusing, but I, I think I, I just think watching, uh, B15 this whole series is wonderful so I just want to throw that out there that I thought uh, Mosaku I've I loved every bit there and I loved her in the previous episodes when she's discovering everything uh, I just I thought she was she was so interesting to watch and she made really still and interesting choices I thought she was wonderful yeah definitely when she comes in and I think on multiple occasions like saves the day right so um, but you know, speaking of B fifteen, the next time we see B fifteen, it's actually after Sylvie has killed He Who Remains, and she and Mobius watch from the TVA as the sacred timeline branches off in countless directions. No turning back now, Mobius says, and he's like, "Wow!" Uh, to which B fifteen replies, "Who said anything about turning back?" And then there's poor, poor Loki, who's is sitting alone in silence after Sylvie betrayed him. And he closes his eyes, he takes a deep breath, and when he opens them, he looks more determined. Loki then rushes around the TVA, where all the employees are in a similar, you know, very frantic state, until he finds B-15 and Mobius in the archives. He lies that he and Sylvie freed the timeline, uh, then warns that countless versions of a dangerous person are coming, all of them set on waging war. But as Loki learns seconds later... Neither Mobius nor B-15, at least these versions of them, seem to recognize him. Asking him who he is and where he works in the TVA. Loki looks really confused and terrified. And when he steps away to catch his breath, he turns and notices an enormous statue of he who remains towering over the Bureau. And that is the end of this episode so for our final question we actually have a write-in question uh from friend of the show mike smith 
Uh, and Mike writes in and he says, hey, I was today years old when I realized how cool it is that the variants cause branches of time that have to be pruned, much like how you would prune the branch of a tree. <laughs> I was like, OK, yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, I mean, didn't, aren't we all learning that today? It yeah, exactly. basically just happened. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he says, as I was thinking of this episode, I realized that time travel is often impossible to get perfect and that there will always be unanswered questions. But. Just for fun, uh, and in the spirit of The One Who Remains, I wanted to ask, um, do you think there is a difference between a branch off the sacred timeline and an alternate universe in the multiverse? And if so, do you think at this point Loki was ejected to a branch off the sacred timeline or another plane of the multiverse? What do you guys think? I'm, I've got some thoughts, but... Uh, I know it's 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 a mind melter. Why don't you Why us, don't yeah. you start us off here with some thoughts? Well, well, okay, so <laughs> let me let me share. I loved how you know um, we see we see he who remains you know consistently touching his hand, right, and he's subtly bringing attention to his wrist where he's got his temp pad, and then Sylvie steals it from him, and he's kind of doing that the entire time, almost as a way to like entice her and for her to notice it, and so. You know, you got to remember, she used his temp pad. So I, I personally think that that temp pad is something much different than the temp pads that he would give a standard TVA agent. Why would he give the TVA agent the ability to cross multi, you know, into a multiverse or to another universe? So I, I honestly don't think that Loki is in, you know, he's on the same timeline. I think he's now in Kang's timeline, and I think he's traveled to that universe. Uh, and and that that it's not just necessarily variants in the way that we think they are. They're variants of of the TVA on a different in a different universe. I I don't know. Yeah, I might be. Well, I think he explains the theory as universes on top of each other. Right. So what layer is he in? Is right. is the question? And how infinite is that universes on top of each other? Right. So obviously it's it's it has to be very infinite. It's time and space. So he to your point, he could be on one of those layers because his to your point, his temp pad has probably a different configuration to what a TVA. That's a, that's a good call out because yeah, that was one thing to to really notice is how he did draw attention to it and uh, to the point of where he was just like literally just take it, just take yeah, it. He literally you know what I mean? pushed like, it towards like, yeah, her. Like he was he was tapping it. You know, he was touching yeah. it. He was showing yeah, he them. Says, with I the love toys. this thing. He literally yeah. says. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I think I think like that. You know, I I I think that's just a really integral thing for us to maybe like really nail down at least from how we perceived. What this show is trying to say is saying like, okay, so there's there's alternate timelines off of a timeline, which we would consider a universe. And mm-hmm. then there's multiple universes that on themselves could even have branching timelines, right? Yeah, but it's branches off of the branches, right? Like it's if you think about a branch, <laughs> it's not just a branch. It's like so the confused. mini branches. Sure. So yeah, I get I get the idea of, of what it is because it's pretty crazy when that, that thing goes from a perfect line wrapping around the citadel to like now it's just like a lightning storm through the sky, For right? Sure. So it's set the precedence that that stream, that flow that was so locked in is now just dispersed, right? Yeah. So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. See, I'm more of the thought that there really is just one timeline, and that is the timeline that the original Kang sort of comes from and, you know, finds everything out about these multi-dimensions, multi-universes. So the 31st century. 
and the, all the other Kangs. I think like, and so I'm not sure if we are just at a different version of that or if we're at the central timeline that's simply been altered because a different Kang ended up coming into it, taking over and dominating the central story. Like, I think it all, the, whatever timeline is the one in focus is the one that that Kang won. You know, mm. there's a Kang in every timeline and whatever Kang wins the ultimate battle of the Kangs is that's the timeline that is the real one and everything branches off of that. Hmm. But there but there are other timelines then or other universes, right? Like, I mean, I know in the comic books, it's very much like this is universe, you know, 616 and then there's universe 279 or universe 821 or 416. But no, I, I, I definitely just, I don't know, man. I, I think this is something that hopefully will get established a little bit more in the future. Well, yeah, I think that the whole press, like the way they set this ending up, like, you know, it felt like Planet of the Apes, you know, like just that sort of realization. That's definitely what that was. Yeah, Yeah. like that that realization of, whoa, this isn't my timeline. It was a cool sort of send off for the season and and really setting up Ant-Man, the multiverse of madness. Like it really has set up the the future of the movies, right? By just showing that little scene of Kang as as like this conqueror. So I think it's going to be exciting to see how it all unfolds. Cool. I mean, we'll get to what it sets up in, uh, in just a moment here. Uh, did anyone? Did you guys have any other answers for Mike? Any anything else you want to mention? Thanks, Mike. Hey, Mike. <laughs> I, think, I think we're all as lost as Mike. Nobody really knows what's going on. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, listen. Wrapping up our discussion on the plot, uh, let's get to our final thoughts on this episode, as well as your final score, uh, which we'll be ranking on a scale of one to five Kangs, and then. I'd love your overall thoughts on the series with a final rating of one to five Kang variants. Monroe, we're going to start with you. Go ahead. Uh, This episode, for me, I think it it gave me a billion questions, but I think it delivered on everything I wanted to see that I think the middle of the middle episodes lacked for me. So I think for this episode, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it. Five out of five <laughs> Kangs. Wow. Okay. All right. I will, because honestly, I think I, I gave me it gave me moments I wanted to see. I, I it got me the best fight con- sequence I wanted to see. Uh, the emotional moments really tugged at my heartstrings. Um, it had uh, exposition, but it was it was needed for what's going to happen in the future right. um, with the movies that we know that are coming up. Um, I thought it was great. I really did. And yeah. as far as the series goes, I'm going to give it a a nice four out of five Kang variants. Okay, interesting. So not as good as because uh, I think for WandaVision when we last chatted, you that was a perfect one for you, right? You did five out of five on that one. Well, now you're asking a separate question, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> you're asking me to rate. <laughs> and to to put them down, yeah, and the yeah. the answer is yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. See, to me, Wandavision, I thoroughly loved it for so many reasons. Sure. Um, I think Loki at the first two episodes, I was like, oh, Wandavision, you've got competition. Yeah. And then just certain aspects of the show for me personally, I I was like, let's go. But uh, for me, Wandavision uh, was still one of the best things I've seen. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Uh, for for myself, I think I, I'd almost give the episode and the series as a whole sort of a, a similar score because this episode reflected everything I thought about the series um, as a whole. I think it, the the best part of it was how it began. I right. loved the intro to both the show and the series. 
There was a little bit of a lull at times in the middle where I thought, well, this is a wasted opportunity where we could be spending time doing other stuff. Like, I I really wish we could have been in the void more, Mm -hmm. interacted more with the Loki variants. Uh, Obviously, there's a potential for that going forward. Um, You know, and both the episode and the show were basically huge just exposition for what's to come, you know. Um, And so I think... I, I'm coming out of the show more excited about what's coming because of it than I was what happened during the course of both the episode and the show. Um, you know, it was, it was, it left me wanting more, but it got me excited for what's coming up next. And so in that regard, I would call that a huge success. Uh, but I, I, I would agree with Monroe that I liked at the end of the day, I, I would rank WandaVision higher in terms of uh, an experience of watching a television show, it would rank slightly higher for me. Um, but I'm going to give both the episode and the show get uh, 4.1 out of 5 Kang slash Kang variants. All right. At the same time. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, how about yourself? Um, again, this episode was amazing. Uh, I, I thought it was a perfect finale. While some may be disappointed by the fact that this episode contis- consists of 20 to 30 minutes of dialogue i love that this gave us so much depth to a new character making me very excited for the future of uh of the mcu jonathan majors was incredible and he is the highlight for me he stole the show he acted his scene so flawlessly he created such personable characteristics to his his variant character with a fresh nuance of villainry uh really setting the stage for the future of of the MCU at the same time. Um, With that, this episode was written incredibly, like just so well done. And and it really subverts your expectations while keeping things, you know, keeping it to the man behind the curtain being just a simple man made of flesh and blood. Uh, And what we learn of this simple man does 100% get me excited for phase four. So, for that reason, I am giving this episode five out of five Kangs. Um, as for the show in its entirety, look, I said this on our podcast episode, our, our look forward for 2021, um, that this was the show I was most excited to see, and it did not disappoint. Each episode added to the bigger picture of the series, and out of the six episodes, I, I would say one felt like a filler, but now having finished the series, I think that filler was necessary for us to get more of a bonding between these characters, uh, which would then set the stage for their conflict in, in this episode. Uh, Kate Heron, Mark Waldron, the entire writing team has created literally a love letter to sci-fi uh, with blending so much into this series, uh, which is very typical of, of Marvel. Um, you know, they they stayed focused on their their character Loki and 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 added to the universe around it, which I think is is kind of very of formula to MCU. The score composed by Natalie Holt is not only the best score of the MCU; it might be the best score of a TV series. I loved it. That she crafted music inspired by the world of sci-fi, um, creating a unique and very specific uh, sound to the world that we got to see through through this series. Uh, yeah. It felt new. It was felt refreshing. And and I, I know on the first episode, I kind of gushed about 
the 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 production design and the art direction and the sort of retro sci-fi vibe and that i'm just glad to see that continued um and i'm, I'm happy to see that it, it 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 has become a definitive part of the mcu it's 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 like so now just in that universe because of how well received this whole show was and this experience goes without saying outstanding cast incredible performances from tom hiddleston who probably like i i think we'll see him get an emmy nomination probably next year because he i, I guess so. the show the show kind of fell short of of this year's of the coming end so, yeah yeah so next year i hope i hope we see it um and i think he he probably did some of his best acting in this show and gave gave more depth to loki's character more so than i think he has in any past movies maybe on the on the uh, maybe Avengers being the other one that that I think that he's he did some good acting in that uh, and really gave depth to his character. Owen Wilson, Sofia Diamartino, Gugu Mbatha Ra, Unami Musaku, and Tara Strong all added to this world by adding like such such diversity and depth. So it was great. So out of the three series we've gotten from the MCU, this is my favorite. It did not disappoint. It will be considered the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Thank Jeez. you, Bret Hart. And uh, we might see this emulated by other shows uh, moving forward. So I'm giving this series a flawless victory, a five out of five Kang variants. Jeez. This finale was almost perfect for me i think mobius b15 and ravona storylines i think they fell a little short for me and i understand that hopefully there will be a bit more payoff with their characters in the future but i do not think they were handled the best in these final moments but with that said uh, i know this episode was about loki sylvie and of course he who remains I loved Jonathan Majors. He was the standout. It was everything that I wanted um, from something that would subvert my expectations about what that character could be um, and so intriguing. And I, I'm just so excited to see where they take him going forward. I think his introduction and his conversation with Loki and Sylvie as the mystery was outright explained, um, you know, just to set up not just another season, but the continuation of the next decade of the MCU, um, you know, I know this didn't have the epic scenes uh, of fighting or action that maybe, you know, that were, were huge and massive with MCU finales or, you know, the ones that we've gotten so far. I think it was still an excellent way to end the first season. And I know I haven't let my love of book ending be unnoticed on this podcast. Uh, and I just thought this episode was such a perfect bookend of, you know, of exposition to the best episode in the series, which for me was episode one. And I like, you know, much like my favorite show of all time, shout out to Lost, uh, without spoiling it, I think this show also ends in a way that lets its viewers decide what they want to believe. And I know that that lack of finality is going to be something that's not for everyone, but I love it. I personally adore it. And I just think it leaves so many things open for them to creatively carry the story of the MCU forward in fresh and unique ways. So for this final episode of season one, I'm giving it a 4.5 Kangs out of 5. And for the series, I agree with you, Justin. This is Marvel's best Disney Plus show yet. Uh, it was a masterclass at world building, and it, it so easily disrupts everything we've known for the past 13 years, mm -hmm. making everything with the Infinity Saga just seem so small, which is crazy to think about. But at the same time, it, it fits so perfectly to set up the next decade of, of the MCU. So, you know, uh, coming off of the Infinity Saga, right, which no big deal, 23 movies, Marvel now has What If, Secret Invasion, Young Avengers, probably, The Thunderbolts, 
probably, and the multiverse of madness with Kang involved. All of that they're working on at the same time. And after watching Loki, I could not be more confident that they'll be able to actually pull it off. This show has helped MCU audiences understand to a greater degree, you know, that we can get weirder than a tree and a talking raccoon. Right. You know, so Tom Hiddleston, Sophia DiMartino, Owen Wilson, and Jonathan Majors. And special shout out to a friend from work, Richard E. Grant. He's not actually from work. He did such an incredible job taking... You know, all these, you know, uh, all the, the, the thoughts that we'd have about Loki and, and an homage to Loki and painting it perfectly. And just these characters, they did such a great job with their portrayals. I loved this first season and I can't wait to see what's next for Loki, Sylvie Mobius and the TVA. So I am giving this a two out of. Nope. Hold on. Let me just use the temp pad really quick. Use giving this a solid five Kang variants out of five. All right, so uh, at the end of Watch Club, we like to give our thoughts on what's going to happen next in a segment we call our low-key perspectives on what's going to happen next. So, guys, with this being the final episode, Monroe, I need to know, what's your low-key perspective for what all this means for season two of this show or for the MCU? I have no bloody idea. <laughs> um, Your accent's coming in and out, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> of course, always. Um, I, I really don't know, and, I, I, and I'm excited by that. We talked last time when I was here for The Mandalorian, and I thought they, they maxed, and I didn't know it was going to happen, I, and I personally didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought Max here that I don't feel like they maxed, and I, I think it's wonderful. I, I think I, th- I, and because I don't know much about King the Conqueror, I'm excited just to sit and enjoy the ride and enjoy what um, uh, Majors is gonna do. Yeah, because I agree. I think he did a wonderful job, and if he's the new big bad, I'm excited to see what the versions are gonna be like. And yeah, I, I really don't know, and I, that excites me. I wish I had more. I wish I had more insight. No, it's all and be good. Like, I, 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 I wish I had theories, but I, I kind of for, personally. I'm excited that I don't. How about yourself, uh, Kevin? I'm definitely in the same boat that that I don't know where this is going to any degree of uh, you know specific uh, you know any specific degree. I think it's a total crapshoot where they're going to go next with it. Uh, I mean, they've obviously given us hints. That was almost an issue that, that they gave us hints about where this was going all along with movie titles for movies that were coming out months or even years after this particular show. Um, but yeah, I think I'm excited to see the MCU version of Rick, you know, a guy who <laughs> creates a portal right. gun, meets other versions of himself yeah. and fights with them for dominance. And he's very much in, like Rick in that he's sort of the smartest guy in the room at all times and has the ability to conjure up, you know, technology, if you will, that can control and manipulate the, the situation. Oh, um, they should do a parody episode of Rick as like the Conqueror. Right. right, that'd be that'd be great. It I almost already is, sure. right? Because you've got the Council of Ricks and then the Council yeah, yeah. of Kangs. Ex- from the exactly, comic book. exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm I'm just I think we're going to get a little bit of a break for the next four months from this particular side of the MCU. We're going to get introduced to a few other characters that won't necessarily have the same amount of impact going forward with your Shang Chi's and your Eternals and stuff. Right. Um, but I think once we get into, you know, Spider-Man, but specifically Dr. Strange, we're going to start to see an Ant-Man. Uh, we're going to start to see the ripples of this really come into effect. And I think it's going to be years and years before we ever get any sort of major conflict with 
the one big bad guy that's out of this. We're going to get a lot of smaller variations of it that play different roles. I think it's it's unbelievable that, that this is, yeah, like you said, Nate, the next five to ten years of the overarching storyline, and that's incredible. Yeah, and it's crazy how they were able to 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 do Thanos and then and then make something bigger and and create something much larger and more more uh I think I think something that can spread throughout the MCU even more. And for Kang, like obviously we're going to see him again in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um but I'm just really interested to see like how. Like I'd love to see him as like a good character and a villain like almost in the same movie. I think would be really really cool. Like there's so much they can play with. And Darcy was saying in our last episode that there's even a young variant of Kang called Iron Lad who starts <laughs> the Young Avengers. So <laughs> we're going to see that kid show up too. Like it's there's so much that they can play with. I'm so stoked. Mhm. No, yeah. I, I I think that there's there's a lot of options with establishing that there's variants of this one villain most most people know who 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 kang the conqueror is but don't know his history but just know that he's you know a villain of of the avengers um so this is going to be a great way to kind of explore the the background of that like of who kang is and until we get to like kevin said like that kang the conqueror sort of style we'll see other versions of him before we get to that that being said i think season two is going to be totally about like renslayer we'll see more loki's i think i I think that the after the, the success that they had with just that episode i think it's like a primer to really kind of introduce the idea of of showing more and i'm glad that they didn't do like more of that because I think that's like definitely showing the cards but like they've they've left left room so that we can in a season two have some of these like the, these variants reappear because I think Kid Loki will come back you know we'll see boastful Loki like it'll it, we'll I would love it. to see classic Loki almost yeah, as like a force sure. ghost yeah like an Obi-Wan like he's <laughs> giving Loki some some perspective <laughs> I think we'll absolutely see in season two Loki in another universe Kang is the conqueror and he's the head of the TVA and I think that everyone that you know Loki interacts with there they're not just variants in the sense that they're pulled from another timeline I do think that variant will take on a whole new meaning in the sense that they're from they're from not just sorry the same timeline but they're from another timeline timeline. altogether and I think I think this next season is going to get even crazier because you know we've by that point of of us as MCU watchers we'll already have had so many other examples of things like alternate universes and timelines i think marvel will find a way to make you know even the most confusing stuff about this season just seem more simple and then in in the in the 3 years to the next season we're going to need something more complex you know what i mean but to that point though do you think there's a fear that you we can't go back now because mm. now that you've opened this box, right? How will it ever end? So now to go back to any kind of storyline that's in the comics that would be otherwise known as mundane or linear, is there a fear now in fans? Are they playing with fire here? Right. See, I've I've been having these concerns for months and months and months now. Ever since you know, sort of this multiverse idea was was presented as going to be the future of where it goes. And even just watching the episode and realizing that, you know, there's not just one Kang, there's millions potentially of him. And if you stop one, another will just rise to take over. And I think, like you said, even going further and opening up this idea that there's just an infinite level of possibilities, I think eventually what's going to have to happen is that on our timeline, the timeline that we as fans that's what we consider the real timeline. At some point, they're going to need to figure out a way to close off 
any access from these other multiverses eventually. That's how they will eventually defeat Kang is just by they'll they'll exist on their own, but they won't have access to ours. And so whatever can happen elsewhere, but on our timeline, it's been resolved. I think that's the only way this can eventually end. So to that point, then, is are is there a possibility, which is very cute and very poetic, that they would cap off this phase how like the opposite of how they capped off the last one where the last one they were going into time and space and then the next one they're going to close it i am i'm wondering though if what we're seeing here with phase four is is more of an introduction to like different layers of things happening in the mcu so you have the space cosmic time stuff happening and you have like the on earth if we think about like future series that are coming like ms marvel we have uh moon knight there's she hulk are those shows going to play into this i don't think they will and and justin i think i think to that point and even to kevin what you were saying you know because i had these thoughts as well i'm like you know you get to thanos and it, and kevin you've called out before like when we were talking about black widow it's like it almost seems like you you, you know how, how does a, a villain matter anymore after after thanos and then we get kang and we kind of are presented with a very similar situation, Monroe, that you're calling out. It's like, how does a linear story matter anymore? How is your Shang-Chi going to matter anymore? And I think the way they do that is by introducing another Thanos-level villain, but on Earth, right? Earth. Give, give us the Earth storylines, the Earth MCU, and you almost branch, you know, speaking of branches, That's what they're doing. branch That's what they're the doing. MCU yeah. into these two separate yep. storylines that we're looking at. That's what sure. I, I, they just they have to keep some semblance of a singular linear existence. Yes. While all of this is because you can't just all of a sudden have these shows that don't exist in the same MCU. Yeah, they, they right? because they exist, don't take yeah. on the same relevance. If right. that's the case, She-Hulk needs to be a lawyer on Earth in our MCU that we yes. know. 100%. And that and so, yeah, I like the idea that there'll be that linear story going forward. And then the story of everything, because the Kang storyline not only starts well into the future, but then takes place sort of at all times around the center of existence. And so, yeah, you have the central timeline and then everything happening around. And as long as you make it clear what you're in and where these characters are at the time, I think it can work. It's just going to be a lot for them to handle. For and sure. that, that is the threat to Earth eventually is Kang. Is to the Earth heroes is is Kang the Conqueror. While all of it's being seen in the sort of that space and and time series that are in and around these Earthbound stories, you know it's it is it, he is the inevitable villain that'll that will lead to the amalgamation of a new Avengers movie. You know what I mean? So, all right. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad we got that covered. I'm glad we got that. <laughs> We got them figured out. Simple, yeah. figured because, out, no problem. Because yeah. I to knew watch. that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, was just playing with you. I was just trying to get it out of you. We got I planted Kevin. that in your head. <laughs> <laughs> so we made it. Uh, and, and you know what? Now that I, I actually don't recognize any of you because Sylvie went and blew up the multiverse. So uh, I need to know our guest, who I assume is just another TVA agent. Can you let the people know what they need to be checking out on their current and even in their future timeline. Is there anything you want to plug for all of our wonderful listeners uh, that they should go check out? Yeah, absolutely. So right now uh, we're just finishing up a festival run of a film uh, I did in Los Angeles. It's called Taking the Fall. Um, Mm. And so that's out now. Uh, You can purchase it on iTunes. Um, I believe it was on Amazon Prime as well. So you can go and check it out there. Uh, I was also very lucky 
uh, and fortunate enough to be a part of uh, a video game. I yeah, got to do some motion capture. It's called Watch Dogs Legion, the DLC uh, Bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to play cool. uh, Jackson Pierce, who is the nephew of the fox, um, Aiden Pierce. And that was a, an absolute joy. It's a, um, It was a wild experience. I hope to talk to you fellas about it at some point. Um, but yeah, please go check it out. The The game's wonderful. A great experience and it was wonderful to be part of. So there's that. And uh, a couple more things that will be coming up uh, next year. I don't think it'll be this year, but it should be next year. So. Ooh. Ooh, okay, interesting. I'm, Dude, I'm still blown away that you're in Watch Dogs, man. Like, <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, we, I've, I've gotten a chance to see you in movies and things like that. And now in a video game, you know, my, my, my main love, uh, as far as entertainment is concerned. And I'm, I'm so excited to, uh, to get a chance to talk to you a little bit more. Um, so I think we can just mention like you will be joining us on an upcoming episode, uh, where we're going to talk to you in a little bit more detail. You're going to join us for one of our regular, uh, old episodes, finally not on a watch club. Um, so I am just, I'm just so stoked to talk to you about what it's like to act in a video game. Yeah. No, it's it's gonna be. I can't wait to get on uh, one of the regular uh, <laughs> episodes. Uh, but no, it's gonna be fun. And I, you know, for me, just as a tease, it was. It is a branch mm-hmm. of the craft, but it truly <laughs> is a variant, and it's unique wow. in its own special way. Wow, I see what you well did put. there. That yeah, was well great. <laughs> um, so listen, if um, if you haven't already, please, you know subscribe use a temp pad of yours travel to a time where you do subscribe and leave a five-star review because you know you want to keep up with that you definitely want to catch that episode and more than ever you are burdened with glorious purpose uh okie dokie loki we hope you enjoyed this finale episode of watch club uh and if you want to write into your show with your thoughts on this episode much like mike did or maybe it was a variant of mike um you know with your low-key perspectives or maybe your predictions for season two of this show well listen You don't have to arrive at the end of time only to discover that everything you've done and said up until this point was just a sick game by some guy who's actually just one version of millions of other versions of himself and then kill him causing another multiversal war and all your friends to no longer know who you are. Instead, Justin, can you let our listeners know where and when they can write into the show? Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Yeah. Not bad, not bad. Also, if you don't know, we also have our other Watch Club series right now where you can join Justin, Darcy, and I for Star Wars, the Bad Batch reviews every single week. We got some really cool guests joining us for the last three episodes of that series, so I am so stoked uh, to to talk to even more people about all the Star Wars uh, dorkiness. Uh, and we also have more than just Watch Club. We also have our regular episodes of the Geekcentric Podcast with our latest episode out now where we share our spoiler-filled thoughts on Marvel's Black Widow. So definitely go give those a listen and check out all the great content Geekcentric's branching timeline has to offer. Justin, Kevin, and Monroe, thank you so much for joining me for today's final episode. And for now, as we say, for all time, always. always.